Amen. Maybe you've asked yourself this question recently. Maybe you've asked yourself this question over the years as a Christian. Maybe you haven't actually sat and thought about it explicitly, this question, but maybe you felt it. Is it really worth it? Is it really worth following Jesus Christ with my life and my faith and my endurance and suffering and my facing hardships? Is it really worth believing and enduring and obeying Christ? Revelation is a word to Christians to encourage us that it is worth it. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we come to open up what we believe to be your word. And as we have just sung, we pray that you would plant these truths deep in us. You know all the ways that we need to repent of other things that we have trusted, other things that we have believed, other things that we have treasured that are outside the blessing through the gospel of Christ. Help us to repent. And all the ways that you know, God, in our own hearts today that we need encouragement to press forward to endure another a day, another week, more years as a Christian. Would you use this word, this meal, as it were, to that end? For your glory and our joy, we love you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Let's think for a moment in the very first verses of the book of Revelation. Who has written this book and to whom? Look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 through 2, which Michael just read for us. There's our answer, who the letter is from and who the letter is to. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Friends, this sets us up for a joyful, incredible, amazing source of, 
of this book, which we believe is the source of all of God's word, what we see here is this chain of information. God has given this revelation to Christ. Christ is showing it to his servants, which he is doing by sending an angel to speak to John so that John could write this and record it for the servants of Christ. Is this a message given to us from an angel in heaven? Yes. Is this a revelation from Jesus Christ, the the risen Lord to the church? Yes. Is this a book, a message, a prophecy which originates with God himself? Yes. Was it made known to a man to pass on to us in time and in physical way? Yes. Uh, this is incredible. I mean, we could just, if we, we, I just, I love to just preach a whole sermon on the word revelation. We kind of did that last week a little bit. This is Christians, we ought to read this and go, God and Christ and an angel are speaking to us. I want to hear what that has to say. It's incredible. I want us to consider who this letter is to this morning. Thinking about the settings that this letter was written to, the original audience, the first recipients. John Hamilton, in his commentary on Revelation, helps us this way. He says, imagine living in a world ruled by a man who would leave his own brother to die, seduce his own niece, kill people for making jokes about him, and then demand to be addressed as Lord and God. An ancient Roman historian writes of the emperor Domitian, the Roman emperor from A.D. 51 to 96, he says, after making free with the wives of many men, he went so far as to marry Domitia Longina, who was the wife of Alias Lamia. When his brother Titus, Domitian's brother Titus, was, quote, seized with a dangerous illness, Domitian, quote, ordered that he would be left for dead before he had actually drawn his last breath. When Cornelia, the chief Vestal virgin, was found guilty of having a lover, Domitian had her buried alive, and her lovers were beaten to death with rods. Domitian killed Alias Lamia for joking remarks, which were reflections on him, it is true, but were harmless. He seduced his niece, who was married, and eventually, quote, became the cause of her death by compelling her to get rid of the child that was his by abortion. Domitian was a moral catastrophe of a man, and this weak and wicked Caesar insisted on being addressed as Lord and God, Dominus et Dies. Irenaeus, the early church father, tells us that John beheld the apocalyptic vision towards the end of Domitian's reign. From what we see in history, Christians lived under opposition and oppression 
from Jesus' time forward. And we're not going to do the biblical theology this morning, but people, God's people from Abraham forward really haven't always been the favorites in the world. From what we see in Revelation, even though, we see that Christians were facing persecution. We see later in John chapter 1 that John himself is in exile on the island of Patmos for preaching God's word. Just consider for a moment where we are in redemptive history for Jesus' followers at this point. Jesus, the Messiah, the one born of a virgin, the one who did miracles, who calmed the storm, who fed the 5,000, who made the lame walk, who hung out with the poor and the prostitutes, the, the one whom they hailed as the son of David and the Messiah as he entered in Jerusalem, the one who died on the cross as the Lamb of God, a sacrifice for the sin of all mankind, that Messiah was crucified And then he rose from the grave, was on the earth for some time, and then ascended into heaven. The Messiah, the conquering king, has resurrected and is now alive in heaven. Now what? I mean, we didn't see most of that coming, even though it was written down for us in the prophets. Now what? Because it sure seems like the Messiah has floated off into heaven, into paradise, and here we are. I mean, just look at the letters in the book of Revelation to the churches. Chapter 2, verse 9, Smyrna is dealing with fake news, or fake Jews, excuse me, fake Christians. I've said way worse in the pulpit, it's fine. Some are about to be imprisoned. They're being forewarned of their imprisonment. Chapter 2, verse 13 in Pergamum, we see that Antipas was killed. The church is facing false teaching in multiple locations. In Thyatira, chapter 2, verse 20, they're tempted to practice sexual immorality and so on and so on. We see it in the letter itself. We don't even have to look at history. It's in the letter. Friends, none of this should surprise Christians who read their Bibles. 2 Timothy 3.12, for example, Paul says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's a matter of fact. John chapter 15, verse 18, Jesus said to his disciples, The world hates you. Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world... But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. That's to say, who are the author and the audience? God has a word which he has revealed to Christ, which Christ sent by an angel to John, to the persecuted, suffering servants of Christ. That's the setting, that's the audience, that's the author, of this book. In short, revelation from God to suffering servants of Christ. And that doesn't just mean for a small group of Christians in a certain time in a certain place in the first century. This is written in a way in a form, and we'll see over time, that it's for all servants of Christ enduring opposition in the world. 
among the many things that makes this such an important book, what, what then is prevalent for John in the first few verses of Revelation? Persecuted people tend to wonder if they're truly blessed by God. Persecuted people, and God's people in particular persecuted, they tend to wonder, to question whether or not they are blessed by God. This is the case all through Scripture from Abraham forward. If we're the blessed people, if we're Abraham's sons and daughters, if we're the descendants of Moses, if, if we've got the temple and we got the priest and we've got the law, God, why isn't it going so well for us? What are you doing in the world? What are you doing with us? Maybe we're not as blessed as we thought we were. Blessing has become a, a Christianized or maybe even a It would be better to say Christless phrase today, not unlike the modern-day fortune cookie. What's a blessing in our culture? What's it mean to be blessed? Typically, when we use that word, it has something to do with some good fortune that we've come upon or has come upon us. I don't know how to explain hashtags for people who are not on social media, I'm going to try. In social media, you can put a hashtag in front of a word or a phrase, and it, it basically files it in all of your social media postings. So that if you just want to go back and look through your social media and you look for the hashtag blessed, you can find all of the posts that you and your friends and other people online have made with the hashtag blessed. This is an interesting search online these days, what we think is in the category of blessed. Here are the predominant themes scrolling for a few moments in various social media outlets with the hashtag blessed. You won a championship in your sport, hashtag blessed. You have a romantic relationship, a proposal, or an anniversary, hashtag blessed. I have a cup of coffee, and here's my picture of it. Hashtag blessed. You, can't, you really can't argue with that one. I mean, that, that seems biblical. <laughs> it's Friday. Hashtag blessed. A financial benefit of some kind, a scholarship or a new car. Hashtag blessed. Not to be excluded are the vast number of selfies or pictures with your dog or cat filed under the blessed hashtag. Once again, to quote Inigo Montoya, you keep using that word, but I do not think it means what you think it means. What does it mean to be blessed? When the Bible talks about blessing, what does it mean? John's word for blessing is just the good old Greek word makarios, which means happy. 
happiness, at peace, well with God and everything, happiness, most often referring to a religious, a spiritual happiness. And it's used by John. There are seven passages of blessing, would you guess, in the book of Revelation. In the Bible, blessing is not only good fortune here and now. It's not the same fortune that the world celebrates. Blessing is in God himself and in his kingdom on the earth. Consider some places the New Testament speaks about blessing. Consider how Jesus spoke of blessing in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus using the same word that John is using for blessing Jesus says it over and over in Matthew 5, 2 through 12, and he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. What? Huh? What? Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Well, that's backwards. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Listen to the blessing. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my, on Jesus' account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great, where? In heaven. Your blessing isn't here on earth like this. It's in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Are you looking for and living in the blessing of God? Are you striving and are you disappointed that you don't have enough blessings, quote, of the world? Revelation is showing us the blessing of the kingdom of heaven, the blessing that is in God. The theme continues through the New Testament. Consider a couple of examples. James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Verse Peter 1, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Verse Peter chapter 4, verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ... You are blessed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Most often in Scripture, the blessed life now seems to be the suffering life now. The blessed life is not the life the world wants to tweet and post on social media. Just Try a search and see if you can find hashtag persecuted, hashtag blessed in one post. We don't think that way. 
We're not taught by the world to think that way. The American dream didn't teach us to think that hashtag persecuted and hashtag blessed belong in one file, one hope, one blessing. Revelation is saying that the rest of the Bible is saying over and over, you don't find God's blessing in the places you think you'll find them and often when you will find them. Look with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse 3. And just look at how Paul refers to the blessing that Christians have and its timing. It's not dissimilar to Revelation. It's a little bit different word for blessing in Ephesians 1.3. It's eulogia. Blessed, Ephesians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That is to say that all the spiritual blessings in Christ in the heavenly places are pronounced on you, spoken for you, given to you, reserved for you. If you believe in Jesus Christ, all the blessings that heaven has to offer are there. But look just a few verses down in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 through 14. Paul sees and he knows there's a future aspect to this. In him we have attained an inheritance. Not that we have any inheritance now, but that we've in, in, obtained a future inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to, first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So you see, Paul even shows us that you, we have blessings of heaven in Christ now, and we are waiting for our inheritance in the future. Our blessing is in both places, spiritually now, but also in the future to come. We have an inheritance that is to come which one of those do you think Revelation is primarily concerned with? That future blessing. The blessing that is coming that you taste now and you are sealed for now by the Holy Spirit. That you are given by grace that you have in your account and your family estate as a son but we don't have it yet. We're not there yet. And that's the blessing that John is looking forward to. Just look with me at the last mention of blessing in the book of Revelation for a moment. The seventh blessing in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 12 through 15. Revelation 22, verse 12 through 15. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. 
Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they might have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city, New Jerusalem, New Heaven, the city by the gates, outside of the dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. When you talk about blessing and you talk about the tree of life, what are you talking about? You're talking about life. Blessed is the one who has washed his robe and has the right to the tree of life. This is the great blessing of the whole Bible. The ultimate blessing is the gospel of Jesus Christ saving us from our sin, making us alive to be at peace with God forever. The Bible is going to end where it began with the tree of life. And we know that back in Genesis, we lost the right to our lives. We lost the right to life when we took God's life that he had given us and, and made us, and we sinned against God in the garden, and we have continued to sin against God, you, your grandma, your girlfriend, your best friend, your boss. We've all sinned against God. And that happened first when God said to eat of the tree of life, but do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve did. And we have been in sin, enslaved to sin, wanting to sin ever since. And look what happens. Go with me back in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, verse 22 to 23. And just see God's result, see God's response to Adam and Eve's sin and their now new relationship to the tree of life because of their sin. Genesis 3, 22 to 23. After Adam and Eve disobeyed God in sin, after they spent some time blaming everyone else for their sin, including God and Satan, Genesis 3:22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reached out his hand... And take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Sent out of the garden, kept away from the tree of life, lest they live like this forever. The great blessing contained in Revelation is salvation from sin and the right to go back in and eat from the tree of life. The exchange of Jesus' death and resurrection for our death. Blessed are those who wash their robes, simply temple terminology which points to Jesus' blood as this lamb slain being sacrificed on the cross for our sin and Jesus' Blood, and as we've heard this morning in Acts, only Jesus' blood, only Jesus' name can wash away sin. What Revelation is doing is making sense of how you can live in a world right now which is hostile 
and diametrically opposed to Christ and his followers while still knowing that you are and that you will be if you continue in Christ blessed. The blessing that God is offering is not the blessing of a good cup of coffee or more money or a sports team win or even a good job. It is himself and it is his welcome back into eternal life. We were in Revelation 22 a couple moments ago. Back to Revelation 22. Look at verse 1 through 5. That spot, again, where the tree of life is mentioned. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as a crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. That's from verse 1. His servants will worship Him. They will see His face. His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. And they will need no lamp of light or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the fullness of the state of blessed happiness with God forever. The blessing of those who are in Christ Jesus who believe in Him and who trust Him as God's Son, crucified for our sin, the reigning Lord of the earth. Our blessing is the reversal of every effect of sin in the world. Life instead of death. Healing instead of sickness. Blessing and holiness instead of curse. And John is encouraging us to believe this blessing. No matter what may come, because what the Lord is going to do next in bringing this about is coming soon. John is speaking in starkly different language from the prophets of old. Right from these few first verses of the Bible, we see John is relating to the rest of the Bible and quoting and recalling and remembering. And John stands in stark contrast to the way Daniel, for example, spoke about and looked forward to the end times. For example, in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, Daniel was told, But you, Daniel, looking forward in time, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. It's not for you, it's not for now. In chapter 12, verse 9, Daniel is told, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. But as we'll see, as we see in our passage this morning, John and Daniel seem to be talking about similar things and similar times. These later times, these end times. But now John is being asked to show the people of God, not to seal them up, but to show, to, to reveal to the servants of Christ what must soon take place. 
Likewise, the other phrase John uses in the last phrase in John chapter 1, verse 3, what does he say? For the time is near. There is an urgency to John in his beginning that he is saying, unlike the prophets of old, it's here. The, the time is near. The time is now. Reminds us of two passages that are similar in language and use. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus' first words spoken in the book of Mark. Jesus came on the scene saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That, that phrase, what does it mean? The time of God, the, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here and it's coming. It's like waking up on Super Bowl Sunday early in the morning and saying, it's, it's game time. Well, we got to eat breakfast first, and we, we might want to grab a snack for lunch. We probably want to do some stretches. We might have a press conference. We got to do the flyover, and then it's game time. So no, it's not game time yet, but yes, in relation to this being the day compared to the 16-week season, it's game time. It is. And speaking of the time when Christ will gather the elect from the earth, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, from the fig trees, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Close, here, coming, is here, is coming, all at the same time. That's what John's kind of getting at. Remember a few weeks ago when we all made it through the snowpocalypse of 2021? Remember how the ice started to melt away finally? One of those last days of snow was on the ground. Our kids were driving around and Jay had noted that, my daughter noted that there's like 10 or 15 robins under a tree not far from the church here. Well, what's that signify? What do robins signify every year? Spring. Spring, springtime. And that's what my daughter noted. Dad, look, it's robins. It's springtime. Well, it's funny because they're all walking around on snow. Is it springtime or is it not? Yeah. But there's still snow on the ground. That's the kind of nearness in, the, in time that John's talking about. He's signifying that this is the prophecy of the end, which the prophets spoke about. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ regarding what the saints should expect next. And make no mistake, the book of Revelation is filled with terrible, unbearable wrath of God. It is filled with judgments on sinners and the wicked on Babylon and more. It's filled with deaths and battle. It's filled with plagues and filled with warnings about the temptation of Babylon, warnings about taking the sign of the beast, warnings about worshiping idols, warnings about believing false gospels. But we see in this introduction by John telling us twice who will be blessed in the time to come, in the things that will soon take place, in the time that is near that John is writing to those who are trusting Christ so that they can know that as the time of God's final judgment and salvation comes, there is a way that God is going to pervert, preserve those in Christ 
and blessing. Persecuted people are not normally inclined to feel that God has blessed them. John is writing to the servants of Christ to say that just because you endure the persecution of the world doesn't mean that God has removed his blessing from you in these last days. Friends, what are we to do with this book? Look again at Revelation 1 verse 3. John has some very practical applications for us. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time of the things in this book are near. Read it. Hear it. Keep it. Friends, have you yourself read and begun to digest the book of Revelation? Read it. Don't only passively consume it, taking it, listening to it here and there, maybe a sermon here and there. You read it. You read it. Prayerfully read it, asking God this question. God, how do I keep, how do I obey and walk with the instruction in this book? Help me relish and love and enjoy and treasure the blessing in this book more than the treasures in the world. You don't need expensive commentaries for Revelation to be a blessing to you. You don't have to spend $46 on D.A. Carson's New Testament use of the Old Testament. Would it be helpful? Sure. But you don't need this. Read it. Digest it. Take it in. Enjoy it. Students and children, read it. Get one of the journals. You read it. You you don't have to be 18 to read Revelation. It's not my house. Read it. Friends, this is once again a great clue that Revelation is not meant to hide the truth of God and to bury God's plans deep down into apocalyptic language and literature, which would take only professionals years of serious study to unravel and understand. God has given his word to Christ, sent it with his angel to John, wrote it to the church to read and to hear and to keep. Read it, hear it, and keep it. Friends, do not be disappointed in God. Do not lose faith in God if you are experiencing troubles in the world because you are a Christian and you wonder what God is doing in the world and how God means to bless you if if you keep keep in the faith with Jesus Christ. What's God doing in the world? Friends, don't keep the book of Revelation closed. Open it and read it. Live your life according to its prophecy. John's calling us to live our lives 
to hear it, to keep it, and to obey it. This future prophecy. Live your life like this is the future and plan on that accordingly. You live your life according to future predictions all the time. You grab a warm jacket if you hear that a cold front is coming. You grab an umbrella if you know that it's going to rain this afternoon. You go to the store and you buy all the toilet paper and water and bread and meat if you hear it's going to snow. Revelation is like the report of what God is doing now and soon. The time is near. Revelation is not just a book to be studied and charted and understood. It's a book which directs us to our own unwavering and enduring faith and obedience in Jesus Christ. It's a guide to blessing in persecuted times and prepares us to weather our time and the time which is near. You might never have even heard of this thing, but my brother-in-law, Jake, who is, I think, would welcome the good old boy title Jake still gets a copy of the Farmer's Almanac for Christmas every year. If you don't know, the Farmer's Almanac has been published since 1818. And it provides long-range weather predictions every year and gives direction for everything from camping to when to plant your crops. Recently, a video of a Marlboro-looking man with a slow draw standing in a field covered in snow reading the Farmer's Almanac for 2021 out loud went viral. In the video, standing in a snow-covered field somewhere, I think in Arkansas, he reads the Almanac for February 15th through the 23rd for the South Central States in 2021. And this is why the video is going viral. He simply reads the almanac. South Central States, February 15th to 23rd. Changeable skies. Getting colder. Heavy snow in eastern New Mexico, Oklahoma, and all of Texas. Wintry mix throughout Arkansas and Louisiana. Now, your weather reporter told you that the week before it came. This was published on August 18th, 2020. Page after page after page, the underlying message of Revelation is giving direction, calling all to faith in Christ in order to navigate our time, the time soon to come, the coming storm, if you will, so that we might remain in the blessing of God. Hear it. Read it. Obey it. Revelation is giving us the road map to the day when there is no longer anything accursed, only that which is blessed. It is worth 
enduring faith. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this, your word, for this time this morning to hear your word preached, to look at it, to hear it, to study it, to dwell on it, meditate on it. I pray that you would keep us in it, help us read it and listen to it and meditate on it, that we might stick close to Christ in the days that are coming, that we might be thankful that we have a word about what is coming from God and Christ to the angel, to John, to us. Thank you. Help us to enjoy it and love it as your sure word. We love you. We pray this together in Christ's name. Amen.